Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Nita, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I didn't know whether we were talking an hour from now or now because our clocks are all messed up at the moment. They went back on Sunday an oh, hour. No. So I just oh, I just I saw was... your notification and I was like, it is now. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, one second. I was just calling to make sure of that time myself. So let me just uh, get my headphones plugged in and I will no be right. Sorry about that. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. It's been... um. It's been a weird couple of weeks. I've just freshly given up alcohol um, oh. 10 days ago, but who's counting? Um, Trust me, it's been six years for me, and I still count all the days. Yeah, I saw on your Instagram recently you did a post. I guess your birth, your sober birthday was within the last couple of weeks. Is that right? Or at least last uh, month? Se- September. Yeah. Yeah. All so right. you're I'm six years. Yeah, six years. Yeah. Hi. Hey, there you are. What was the incentive for you to to kick? Oh my god, it was really time. <laughs> what wanting more, wanting to waste less, hating yourself, and being in a hungover state of anxiety and dread. All of that, and you know, I was I was going through a lot of issues at home. You know, a lot of issues on the road, and I was, you know. We were on an arena tour with Motley Crue at the time, and it was just, you know, the alcohol was consuming my life. And I was spending so much energy getting drunk and getting in, you know, stupid fights and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, just the minute that I got sober, everything changed. My whole life 
shifted in like a massive seismic way. So it was definitely the best decision I ever made. And congratulations, 10 days, the first week is the roughest for sure. Well, listen to this as well. I'm a DJ and I, I DJed Friday, Saturday and Sunday, the weekend just gone. And they were like, I think days, say three, four and five. Um, and I was the only sober person in the building for three nights straight. And it was like yeah. just the most testing, exhausting. But I went into it thinking if I can do this, then this is like, you know, a pretty good springboard to continue. So, yeah, that's how it was for me, too. You know, I'm I'm still out there on tour. Everyone else is always drinking. The guys always, you know, no one throws it in my face, but everyone's got a glass of wine after the show or some beers or whatever. And you just have to it's exactly like you said if you can get through that environment then you can get through anything yeah oh nice well it's really good to talk to you and um likewise i imagine when you're operating at the highest level which you are um you know in a operation like alice cooper's band you need to be firing on all cylinders all the time don't you there's no time for error there's no you know room for oh god i don't think i can face tonight's show i've got a bit of a hangover it's like no the show's going ahead and you need to show the show up. goes on yeah the show goes on whether you're hungover or not whether you're tired or not whether you're emotional or you know like when i drink i get very emotional you know so whether i'm you know crying and or, or hungover or whatever you know that that curtain's gonna drop at nine o'clock whether yep. i'm in the game or not so you might what as a tour well to be on as well so it was the fair it was the motley crew farewell i saw that tour in the uk it was amazing it was so yeah. good production. I mean, yeah. Alice Cooper's like the ultimate support band, isn't it? Like whether it's Guns N' Roses or Motley Crue or like one of those top tier, you can't hope for a better, I'd say opening act. He's obviously, you know, an absolute legend. But in terms of like a support band, that's like the best you could ever hope for in terms of songs, production, like just fun. It's got to be the best. Yeah. You know, I feel like maybe a big reason why we don't get taken out as a support band much anymore is because people are we, afraid <laughs> this band doesn't put on a show like a support band. Alice plays like a headliner, you know, and, and we, as his backing band, we give him that level of show, I think every night. So, you know, there's, there's certain bands that are so good live. I, I think seven dust is one band that is just so good live that they don't get offered a lot of support slots because bands don't want to get on after them. Yep. And, uh, Without, you know, I'm, I'm putting this solely on Alice, not on myself or the guys. Like, this is an Alice Cooper thing. Alice is just so good. You know, it's it's hard to go on after. I wouldn't want to go on after Alice. I wouldn't want to go on after this man, I'll tell you that much. And that's it's not my ego talking. It's just like plain facts. Facts. Well, what's cool as well is when Alice is the headline act, and I think I've seen every tour that he's done in the uk in the last 10 years you know alice cooper's one of those bands if that show's rolling into town i'm seeing it at least one time on that run probably two or three and the ones that i remember from the last decade like the support bands and the package bill that i'm presuming he handpicks and curates but one year it was like duff mckagan's loaded and ugly kid joe another year it was the darkness and the damned i think the mm -hmm. most recent one was the stranglers and the mc50 MC50, yeah. And every time it's like the ultimate night out, this kind of all boxes ticked. It's rock and roll, it's punk, it's like arena rock. Um, he's clearly not afraid to bring out amazing bands of support acts because yeah. he's confident in his ability and his band's ability to crush it every time. Yeah, I mean, who, who do we have? I think we had Blackstone Cherry as well on one of oh, the wow. last UK runs. That was really great. Those guys are so good. Just good so friends good of mine. Good fr I was at their first ever UK headline show. 
Um, oh, wow. I used to work on Kerrang Radio. So there was a time around about when all bands, which are really dear friends of mine, like Airborne, Hailstorm, Blackstone, Cherry, all those bands were playing in clubs to like, you know, 300 people. And wow. now they're all like basically arena bands. It's been so cool to see that progression over the last decade. Airborne and Hailstorm have both supported Alice, but not over here. I, I think like oh. Australia and there's other parts of the world where they've been out. Like I'd love to see Lizzie and Joel and my friends in those bands. But Yeah, we toured we with both bands. Well, it's easy to say last year, but it was 2019, I guess. Twenty? No, I guess Airborne we had in 2020. We were out with Airborne in Australia. And then 2019, the end of 2019, we were out with Hailstorm. Such great bands. And I feel like, you know, what we're talking about, incredible stage show, incredible presence. But something that you can't say about every band is amazing people. You just, you know, Hailstorm and Airborne in particular, just the most genuine, thoughtful, kind, like fun, positive environment to be around. I just adore both of those camps. So fun to work with. Well, I've been listening to you on a few podcasts in the lead up to this chat, and you just come across as the loveliest person as well. Um, And and like genuinely um and it's you know you're obviously in the kind of band where the tone is passed down from the top down and and my first ever face-to-face interview as like a inexperienced kid wide-eyed little you know amateur was alice cooper that was my first ever interview and he could not have been cooler he could not have been kinder um i've interviewed him several times over the years and considering like i always say in the rock world, he's probably the most famous individual out of all of them because he's the kind of guy that your gran would know. You know, even if she's never totally. heard an Alice Cooper song, everybody knows who Alice Cooper is because he's bigger than music, isn't he? But yeah, totally. he's the most down to earth, humble, um, generous with his time and like attention. Like he always seems present in exchanges with anyone, whether it's just the guy opening the door for him. Um, so you must have learned how to treat people you know, obviously from your parents and your upbringing has the foundation, but like then to go into a band like that, what better guy to learn from, right? As to how to conduct yourself in this world. Yeah, I think it really does all come down from the top and you see it with bands that you tour with all the time, how they're, you know, how management is, how the artists are and how production it's people just water, are. just water, by the way. <laughs> well, <laughs> my, cheers to that. My party cup. <laughs> I'll get you the, I'll cheers with our fizzy waters together. Amazing. <laughs> um. I, it definitely does come down from the top. Um, I started touring really young. So when I was out on the road, you know, on big tours, you know, like Vans Warped Tour when I was 15, 16, I really what had that, that appreciation. Uh, that was, was some of my first bands ever would go out on these these little, little local bands. We'd, you know, win a battle of the bands and go out on, you know, playing wow. at 9 a.m. on the small side stage on these big tours. So I always kind of had that appreciation of being in something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. which I still feel, you know, when the Oz Cooper group today and, and even in my solo band, which is really kind of all about me, you know, I, I still, I still feel this sense of wonder and, and, and not any entitlement to it at all. You know, I'm always, even on my solo music, I'm just trying to take care of my band and take care of my guys and take care of the fans and make sure that everything is, is running as smoothly as possible and as pleasant as possible. And, and that's something I definitely take from the Alice camp, making sure that everyone feels taken care of and respected and do little things like, you know, pay for a a big dinner for the band and crew once at the end, you know, toward the end of the tour to say thank you. Like little things that Alice does for us that I try to pass on to my guys. Yeah, he's a total sweetheart. Total sweetheart. So um class act. What's the what's the origin of your name? Because it's not a stage name, is it? It is your surname, Strauss. 
Um, yes. So, so is there European heritage and, and like, is that a musical lineage as well? Yeah, Austrian lineage. Um, it, it's actually ended up being a really funny debate on the internet over the years because, you know, <laughs> my, my dad's side of the family, you know, we have all relatives in Vienna and, you know, we, my dad's side of the family has, has connections to the Strauss composer. And then someone on the internet told me that I couldn't possibly be related to him because they've done the family tree themselves. And there's no, you know, my dad is James Strauss and there's no James Strauss that's born from his grand, his mother's name. And it's like, well, you know, and then, and then I did my own research and I find out that Johann Strauss, the legend was also a bit of a legendary playboy and had an illegitimate family and all of this other stuff. So it's a long way of saying, uh, I'm glad that I grew up, you know, with that thought in my head, because it made me, I think a better musician thinking that I had this incredible lineage to be a part of. And if it ends up being true, I'm still very honored. And if it doesn't end up being true, then my dad and myself are starting a new generation of Strauss musicians. Yeah, it's, it's the next chapter. Um, so you did you grow up in a musical household? Were, you, were your parents you know, that way inclined? Very much so, yeah. So my dad was a touring musician himself. Um, so I get that from him. Right. My mom was a supermodel who married a musician. Wow. And my sister is the, the just like my mom. She's, you know, my mom was a professional dancer. And my sister was a Pilates and dance instructor. So my mom and my sister are just exactly alike. And my dad and myself are just exactly alike, you know, just musicians, touring musicians, road dog through and through to the bone. And you're out there at 15 doing it on the Warp Tour. That's amazing. So assumedly, because your dad knew that world, he was supportive but was he also like concerned because he'd seen the pitfalls like was he worried you're going to be getting into drinking drugs at that age and like you know meeting boys or was he just like no i know that i can see that you're in it for the music i'm going to support you and back your decision and get out there and have fun you know if my parents were worried they never let me know it i should ask my mom now i should ask them now what they thought about it but you know we were my band at the time was an all-female band we were all in high school and we were just so focused and dedicated and you know we we weren't into the boys we weren't into the partying we were you know we were drinking a little bit you know experimenting with you know smoking weed or something here and there but myself personally i, I never liked it i never got into it you know alcohol was my thing for many years um but even then even with the drinking you know we just wanted to be out there and be a band playing on the road and you know, we went out there and we did several tours, just four girls by ourselves with no parent. You know, we had uh, we had one parent with us on the first tour and then they kind of said, OK, you guys know what you're doing and and let us go off and do it. And, you know, thank God nothing, you know, something could very well have happened, but thank God nothing ever did. We were always well taken care of by promoters and new friends in different cities and bands that we played with. And and uh, we kind of we went out there as as a band that was there to work. And that's what everybody treated us as. That's reassuring to know that like, cause you know, in the world that we're in now, it seems like every week there's a new story about a new musician or, you know, person in power. And you're just like, Oh my God, it, you might, it makes me ashamed to be a man, but that it's gives me hope. Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh, that yeah. gives me hope that there were good guys out there then taking oh, yes. care of girls. Absolutely. There, there always were. And it's, it's such a tough, it's such a tough subject, you know, being a female in music. And I've seen a lot of stuff saying that you can't be a girl in this business without having been taken advantage of anything like that. And, and I, I can safely say that I've had a wonderful experience my whole time in this visit it has not always been easy. And I've had to work for respect a lot of the time, but I'm very grateful to have worked with amazing people over the years and, uh, and have a lot of really good stories to tell. 
Amazing. Well, hopefully we'll get into a few of them as we, you know, get into yeah. the story of, of your life. But one thing I'd love to know near the start of this chat is like, where does the drive come from? Is that from, from your parents and your dad in particular as a touring musician? Because when you're, you know, making your kind of cutting your teeth early on, you obviously need the chops, you need the skills, you need to be a good player, which you clearly are. But you also, I think, to get ahead, you need that confidence and that commitment and that ambition. Um, so where does all that side come from and were they all there early on did you notice like early on you could kind of conduct yourself with a certain authority and you knew what you wanted and you knew how to go about getting it i think for me personally it came from doing sports as a child so i grew up uh competitive you know competing in sports and if you grow up like that you grow up competing against other kids your own age i think it teaches you early on that you get out what you put in in life so yeah. and that's true uh, of everything I've, isn't it relationships absolutely. work things everything yeah relationships practicing guitar the you know working out in the gym like uh, I, i've told the story often but I'll, I'll say it one more time i remember my first competition my first gymnastics competition i must have been eight or nine years old uh, i went out and competed against the other kids and um uh, and i had worked hard for years in gymnastics ballet everything and i swept every category every gold medal every gold medal in every event and the overall gold and I was thrilled. My parents are proud. Everybody's so happy. And then uh, a couple months later, we had another competition and I didn't place. And I remember I went to my coach crying afterwards. I didn't win a medal. And, she, you know, I had this really tough Ukrainian gymnastics coach. And she said, that's because you didn't work as hard. And wow. I was eight or nine. And I remember thinking like Brutal. the light bulb went off at that moment. I was like, oh, so if I work harder, then I'll get the things that I want. I'll get to where I want to be in life. And it kind of just stuck from that moment forward. So when I started playing guitar a few years later, when I was 13, I carried that discipline over from sports and just said, okay, well, I want to be good at this. I don't like not being good at the things I do. So uh, I had if, that If the job's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Absolutely. And I, I just had that stubbornness and force of will. And uh, I just applied the same thing to to learning how to play the guitar and then later on would apply the same thing to the business of, of music, you know, creating this, the the brand that is now, you know, Nia Strauss. Yeah. And uh, and like you said, just if it's worth doing, it's worth doing it right. How do you, are you self-taught and in a pre-internet age, because you're the same age as me, I think you're 86, right? So you're 35? Mm -hmm. Same yeah, as me. I'm, 30, I'm 34. Yeah, oh, 34. So, so. I got a couple more months. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what? So you're late in the 86. Like December, are you? Like Christmas December baby kind of time. Yes. Got mm -hmm. you. Sorry, I didn't want to age you there, Nia. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> but you, <laughs> like mind. me, you were pre-internet. Um, and so when you're 13 and you're picking up a guitar, you can't go on YouTube and, and just watch videos. So how are you training? Uh, as a as a young kid are you getting lessons do you have a mentor are you reading off books are you going by ear how does it work yeah so i started with my dad um my dad taught me my first few chords but my dad's a bass player you know like right. he so he taught he knows a bass player who knows some guitar so he taught me my first few chords and he got me a beatles songbook um but i my passion for guitar came from a very famous guitar movie called crossroads yeah, yeah. Um, and people look at me and they think it's the Britney Spears crossroads, but it's not. It's the Idiots. Steve Vai crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I wanted to be Steve Vai crossroads. I wanted to be Jack Butler. So I started devouring all the uh, DVDs that I could find. So I had uh, John Petrucci, Rock Discipline, Marty Friedman, Melodic Control, Frank Gambale, Modes No More Mystery, Ingvi Malmsteen, Play Loud, like all everything so that I could find. So you were a shredder find. from day one. You were like shredders was, of the guys. 
yeah, I was trying to do stuff that was far too advanced. But, uh, and I, you know, when you, the problem with being self-taught is you, you skip over a lot of the basics. And I, I had to go back much later in life and learn a lot of the basics, sort of the four bar blues and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I didn't learn a lot of that until I started playing with Alice in 2014. Um, but I would just devour it. And I was sort of at the very beginning of the internet. That makes me feel kind of old, but I was like kind of, you know, it was like 99, 2000. So you had uh, the torrents and the downloads and stuff. So I would I would download all of the REH videos that, you know, if I would have bought them, if I could find them, but you can't really find that kind of stuff in, you know, most stores. So I downloaded everything that I could find of shred guitar. And that's that's how I got started playing. And I still do a lot of those exercises today, actually. That's amazing. Again, it's like that incentive and initiative because most people are probably just looking to download. You mentioned a Britney Spears, like let's get the new Britney track from Torrent. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm going in on this. So are you going Frank out? Frank and to- Bali. <laughs> uh, you live in LA, right? Or at least grew up in, in LA. Are you still there? I'm raised in LA, yeah. So are you going out and checking out shows in like Hollywood as a kid? And if so, who did you see? Yeah. Um, so it was funny is I was playing shows before I went to many shows, which is really funny. I think I had only been to one big gig before I played my first gig. Uh, and that was wow. Anthrax and Judas Priest. Uh, I saw at the uh, Hollywood Bowl, one of the big venues in LA. Um, and uh, I, I, was, I was just, I wanted to get on stage and play and I wasn't any good. You know, I think I played my first show within a couple months of picking up the guitar. And then uh, I had heard from a friend of a friend in school that there was a, a local death metal band looking for a bass player. And they said, I said, well, I play bass. I had never picked up a bass in my life, <laughs> but, um, but my dad had a bass still. So I took his bass to the audition and I played it like the bottom four strings of a guitar. And they said, how old are you? I was 13 and I said I was 16 and I got it. And we played the first show a couple weeks later at the Battle of the Bands, and the guys didn't know for I think probably a year how old I was, and that I did not really actually know how to play bass. Amazing! What was the name of that band? Are they still going? No, no. The no. band was the band was called Overt Display of Anger, which Amazing. is like the silliest metal band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is the stuff you think is cool in middle school, you know, but they were in high school. They don't have any excuse. I was in like seventh grade. So I'll I'll take the pass on that one. (laughs) Did you finish high school or did you go out and start touring and then just decide, okay, this is already happening. I'm out. See you later. Exactly that. Uh, I started touring and I started touring at the like sort of between middle school and high school. I did my first uh, small national tour. And then uh, I had the bug so bad. All I wanted to do was play guitar. And um, so I toured on the summers and on winter break, we would do, you know, two weeks here, 10 days there. And in the summer, we'd go out for six weeks or so, you know, on our own. And then after my sophomore year of high school, I told my parents, I I don't want to do any of this anymore. I want to play music. I want to pursue music. And they said, if you get your GED, you know, if you if you get your paperwork, then you can drop out and pursue music full time. I don't think they thought I could do it because the school that I went to didn't have standardized testing. I had never taken like a standardized public school test. I went to like an art school. Uh, So I went out and I took the test without studying and you just get a pass fail. I have no idea how I did, but I passed and I brought them the paper. They said, "Okay, go. And then I realized very quickly that not many bands want to hire a teenager with very little touring experience. 
<laughs> so it was a rude awakening for me, but uh, but I kept it going. Uh, that was when I started doing sort of more of a the hired gun approach. Instead of just playing in my own band, I would play with any local band that would let me get on stage with them. I would play in rock bands, punk bands, funk bands, death metal bands, metalcore bands, you know, singer songwriters that wanted a guitar to accompany them. Uh, I just wanted to be on stage and perfect the craft of performing as a guitar player. So I would go out and play with anybody that would let me get on their stage. And I think that's a big part of what shapes the musician that I am today, just not having that that attitude and that ego of like, I'm only going to do this, or I'm only going to do that. I just really wanted to play guitar and that was it. Well, yeah, if you say I'm only going to do a certain type of music, that that instantly then eliminates, you know, every other opportunity in every other lane, doesn't it? So, and Absolutely. also as, you, as you're taking on different genres and styles, you're evolving and growing as a player as well, aren't you? Absolutely. And I think it's so important to have your own voice as a guitar player, but be versatile enough to jump between different styles. You know, if someone said to me like, hey, I want you to, to guest on a blues song, I'm not what you would call a blues guitar player, but I can pop into a blues session and do something cool, make it sound like me and bring in my unique flavor to that rather than just saying, no, I don't know how to do that, you know? Yeah. It's funny you say you skipped a lot of that basic stuff as well and you were just, you know, going off the deep end. So later on when you're, you know, I mean, say like the Maidens opportunity, right? When you join the I Maidens, do you then have to like relearn a lot of stuff then or more so later with Alice? But well, let's talk about the Maidens first. So when you're in that sure. band, um, is that when things kind of begin to you know, accelerate and, and your career begins to take off as it were? Is that like the first big break? You know, I, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a big break. I feel like my career, it's it looks meteoric from the outside. You know, people will say like, wow, you just, you played Iron Maiden songs and then you got an Alice Cooper. It's like, you know, the, the uh, what's the, the movie, <laughs> you know, ta-da, uh, Steel Dragon, you know, like yeah, rock, yeah, yeah. movie rock star. Yeah. Um, and I always, I describe it more like pushing a very, large boulder up a very steep hill for a very mm -hmm. long time and then when you get to the top people go oh wow you got this big rock all the way up here that's amazing that's great but they didn't see you pushing the rock up the hill for the last 12 fucking years you yeah. know <laughs> like um so so the maidens was i would say about halfway up that hill uh, right. i started playing with them in 2011 by that time i had already toured in europe with other bands i had uh, been to africa with Jermaine jackson on a stadium tour with him like i had already done a ton of stuff by that point you know i had i had toured in europe with uh a band and the uk as well with a band called as blood runs black like i was you know i had written my Is own the drummer music. in I that band called hector yes yeah mm -hmm. so there, there's like a weird Lech. connection my friend joel it's like his cousin is that guy um, oh wow! Yeah, because like I was like, because I heard you on a show and you mentioned this band, and that you know when you just hear a band name that you haven't heard in like a decade, and you go, sure. how do I, how do I know them? And I messaged my friend Joel. I was like, do you know this band? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, let me pull up his text real quick. I've got it here. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so random. Like this is the kind of world that I guess when you're in music, you know, everyone sort of knows that it's like three degrees of separation, isn't it? Totally. So, and that was um, a great tour too. We were opening up for Architects. And this is wow. in 2009. Yeah, wow, we were opening wow. up for Architects and Despised Icon. And now look at Architects blowing up, or blown up, I should say. Massive. The, their drummer, Hector de Santiago, is the father of my cousin Sarah's children. What, I don't even wow. know what that is, what the relationship is, but it's there. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> uh, it's, like, it's like Matt. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> good, good for Lech. Have some kids. I didn't know that. 
<laughs> so you're touring with them you're going all over and jermaine jackson like wow what a lineage to be a part of right there um totally and what, is he a cool dude the coolest yeah everybody was was so great it was really an honor to get to do it because it was just after michael had passed and jermaine had most of michael jackson's band with him so wow. it was a, a real real honor to get to play with jermaine and jonathan moffitt and the incredible band that michael had had put together for the this is it tour so to get to work with that caliber musician you know i was 21 years old you know just a, a metalhead from santa monica california and i'm all in here with you know pop and funk royalty you know with uh mike scott the other guitar player who plays with prince and michael jackson all these incredible musicians so uh, you know, being thrown into the deep end. And again, just the situation of saying, of getting a random call saying, can you play funk? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, I didn't know. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I wasn't basing that on anything. I'll be I just, able to, I promise. <laughs> I'll be able to when the time comes. And I went, you know, took myself to the woodshed and I learned Jackson's Jackson five, you know, Jermaine Jackson solo music, which I was unfamiliar with before that point, <laughs> you know, so uh, just being willing to take that opportunity and go for it. And I, I cruised in and delivered for Jermaine. And that was wow. what led to my first time playing at a stadium, you know, and, and, what an what an amazing random opportunity it was just because i said yes to something i had no idea how i was going to pull off yeah not to make too much of a big leap but everything i've been told with you know because i interview so many people who have, sure. have gotten sober and like you know it got to the point where i was like i keep talking to people about recovery and all the cool stuff that's happened in their life once they gave up alcohol i can't keep drinking and ruining my life with this much information you know readily available and there and that's the recurring theme that i've heard is like you get to then do all these things with the cl yeah. the clarity and the clearness of a sober brain is like the opportunities of the universe present themselves in such a way that as you said, like things just start to happen that maybe wouldn't have before. And it seems like rapid, yeah. but it's just because you're like there and you're in tune. Yeah. And, and I will say, you know, the, the Jermaine tour and all that, that happened before I got sober. And now with a clearer head, looking back, uh, I wouldn't go back and change anything, but I do wish that I could have experienced things a little, a little more presently, as you said, you know, um, because there are a lot of things I don't remember about that time in my life. Uh, and especially after that, I went through a very, very, very dark time in my life. And uh, I wonder how much more productive I could have been and how much further and faster my career could have gone if I had been as clear-headed and focused as I am now. Yeah. The last tour I did, I go out on tour and I DJ in between bands. Mm -hmm. And um, the last tour I did right before COVID was with Zach, with Zach Wilde. And I was riding on the bus with him. And like, he's another dude who's just like the greatest guy. And he the was best. so generous and lovely. And obviously he hasn't drunk for a while now, but I was like drinking yeah. every night on the bus. And there was one night where I got so drunk. And you know, when you wake up the next day, I was in the bunk and I just woke up and I was like, oh no, what did I do last night? And when I came down, luckily, because Zach's cool and he just thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. He was like, oh God, the kid's up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm chatting to him in a couple of days doing one of these and it'll be the first time we've properly spoken since that tour and I can't wait to tell him like he'll be like oh because he, he actually re renamed me father Matt Daniels because I was drinking so much Jack Daniels on the tour that's great oh he'll be so thrilled he'll yeah. be so thrilled and you know Zach was a big uh, a big influence on my sobriety as well oh cool and and I'll tell you why um because if you hear Alice's story, you know, everyone always kind of assumes that because I play an Alice's band that he was sort of my sober mentor. And I love the guy, but his story is so different to mine. 
yeah. you know, like I adore Alice and he will talk to me if I need advice about anything that I want. But when I went to Alice hat in hand and said, I'm having a really hard time, you know, what did you do? How did you, how did you do this? Because I'm really struggling. He sat me down and he said, well, Nita, he said, it was God. God took my desire to drink away from me. And I, I out loud, I said, oh, wow, that's wonderful. And inside I said, well, that didn't happen for me. <laughs> you know, like uh, I'm a spiritual person, but that, that wasn't the way my journey went. You know, God gave me my desire to drink, if anything. You know, I, no one took it away from me. I still have that desire still now after six years every day. Um, so I was going out and seeking advice. You know, we were on tour with Motley Crue, so I was asking Nikki Six a lot of questions. And then we did a festival uh, where a black label was playing and I was chatting with Zach. And I said, you know, what what can I do? How can I how can I get over this feeling of missing out? How can I get over this feeling that everybody else is having fun and not me? And I was just sort of ranting and he put his big giant hand on my shoulder. Can I curse on your show? You can say whatever you want. Yeah. OK. He said, listen, little hurricane. He goes, don't be a fucking pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and then and he gave me this like real locker room pet talk he goes you that liquid means nothing it doesn't fucking control you you control you you're a strong badass bitch and nothing controls you only you control your i'm gonna cry it's like thinking about it because it, it was just so so heartfelt and so meaningful and so raw and real and i was like fuck yeah i do like no one controls me i control me and it's it's really easy to look at this thing and go oh my god i could just have you just have a little bit and then I'll relax. And then everybody, you know, like everybody else is relaxed and I'm tense and, you know, like sort of you spiral through this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Zach said it so, so raw and real and succinct and said, just don't be a pussy, you know, like, it's like, it seems like an under, like, seems like sort of underselling alcoholism of like, this is, this is a serious thing. And we all struggle. You struggle with it. I struggle with it. And millions and millions of people around the world. But having Zach Wild, my hero, say to me, hey, listen, don't be a little bitch. That does not control you. Only you control you. Like that was a, a good kick in the ass for me. I think about it very, very often. That's amazing. I'm going to pass that on. I'm sure he knows, yeah. but I will pass on that. And yeah, you're right. Like for me, the one thing everybody does what they have to do, right, to get the job done. But the one thing for me, which is kind of always like perhaps put me off AA and the 12 step thing is like you have to, the first step is like admitting you're powerless and it's like uh, no no I'm not like I, I can yeah. take charge of this situation it's going to be hard but like you know I have power over alcohol not the other way around yeah yeah and and you know I I don't love the phrasing of that you know admitting that you're powerless but I read something interesting recently um, that sort of put that into a different perspective for me. And I'm not preaching sobriety. I never do. You know, it's right for some people. It's not right for everybody. It's right for it's me. Fun it's fun till it's right not fun, you. right? Woo. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I, I like the idea of sort of rephrasing that you're powerless into you are not all powerful because as an addict, you like to think that you can control everything in the universe and everyone in the universe. Um, whether you're consciously doing that or not, but you think you can control people's reactions and your reactions and how everybody reacts to you. And if you can't control it, then you'll medicate it. Um, and I think for me personally, a stronger affirmation is not I'm powerless is I'm not all powerful. You know, I don't control everything that happens in the world. I can only control what I do. Admitting our limits and our weaknesses. Yeah, absolutely. The strength to change the things that you can 
and and ignore the things that you can't. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a lovely talk. I'm having a great time. Um, Me too. <laughs> Alice Cooper then. So how does that wonderful man come into your life? How does that opportunity arise? Uh, and it must have been the most exciting, but also the most daunting prospect so I wonder if you could talk me through like the initial offer and then the the audition and, and then how you wind up in this incredible badass band that you're in. Yeah. Uh, so to rewind a little bit, I was playing on a cruise ship called Monsters of Rock. And I was doing double duty with the, the Iron Maidens and I was playing with a band called Femme Fatale, um, which is, if you guys remember Lorraine Lewis from Femme Fatale, she is just like the ultimate 80s woman badass powerhouse. Loved working with Lorraine. Um, and so we were playing in on Monsters of Rock, and I think we went on on like a Thursday night at midnight in a, a room about the size of my studio here at my house. Um, and Kip Winger was in the audience. He had come down to see Lorraine, and you know they knew each other for many years. And I was chatting with Kip after the show, and he goes, "So what are you? Are you full time in this band?" And I said, "No, no, I'm a hired guitar player." Uh, and I sort of gave him my usual line, which is. Uh, if you hear of anybody looking for a guitar player, you think I might be a fit, I would really appreciate if you keep me in mind. Always hustling. And yeah. Yeah. Always hustling with, a, with probably two drinks. In my head. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, but I said, I really appreciate if you would keep me in mind. And, uh, and he said, I, he said he would, and true to his word, he did because he got word before anybody did that Orianthi was leaving Alice Cooper's band. Uh, and the Motley Crue tour was about to start. I think we were like three weeks out from the Motley Crue tour. Oh, wow. Um, was that final close? Tour. It was very close. Yeah. It may have been a month or so at this point, like when I got the call to audition. Um, so I got the call. Um, Kip Kip called me. I was I was out doing cardio. I was out for a run with my best friend in the morning. And uh, I got a call and it was Kip. And he said, do you have any, you have any availability this summer? 
And I said, well, yeah, at the time, you know, I had my own band going, we had some shows booked and I was working with the LA Kiss arena football team playing the national anthem and stuff for them. And I got some stuff, you know, why, what's going on? He goes, it's uh, Alice Cooper and Motley Crue. And I was like, I'm 100% available. I have nothing on the books. <laughs> Please pass on my information. I would be so thrilled to audition. That's the um, ultimate, isn't it? That's the ultimate offer yeah. right there. And that tour as well. To do. Like... <laughs> I have nothing whatsoever to do. And the funny thing is I had just been looking at tickets for that show because I thought it was, you know, it's going to be the last time you're going to see Motley Crue play in LA. Like I'm going to go. I was looking at seats for the Hollywood Bowl. Like maybe I can afford like some lawn seats way up in the back you know, and um, <laughs> absolutely. It would have been way up sitting on the grass on a picnic blanket, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I got the call to audition for, uh, for Alice and they had me audition via video because the band is all international. Two of the band members, Tommy Henriksen and Ryan Roxy live in Europe. Uh, the rest of the band is spread out all over the States. Um, so they had me send in video auditions. And when I tell you that I pulled out, I've told the story a million times. I'll tell it a million and one. When I tell you that I pulled out all the stops for this video, it probably looked ridiculous. Like I was there in my little studio at my house, very much like this one, but without the lights, you know, and I was giving every move that I had because I wanted to show them I could be an arena guitar player, you know, sitting here in the bedroom. And, you know, I was putting my hand over the neck and putting the guitar behind my head and sweeps and, you know, tapping and arpeggios, like every trick that I could pull out, I did. And um, then I sent the email off uh, and it went to Shep Gordon, who's Alice's longtime manager. Of course. Uh, and legend. Alice himself. Yeah. yeah, super mensch. And to Bob Ezrin, who has been producing Alice since Welcome to My Nightmare. And uh, I sent them three songs, five minutes or so each. So it should have taken them 15 minutes to watch my audition. Uh, and my phone rang and it was Bob Ezrin and he called me two minutes after I pressed send. <laughs> like I pressed send and then I sent a text and said, hey guys, I've just sent my, my videos. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm really looking forward to your feedback and thank you for the opportunity. Okay. And Bob called me within two minutes. He goes, this is not what we're looking for at all. <laughs> like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, and, you know, and he, he laid into me pretty good, which is, which I've now worked with Bob for many years. And that's, that's how he is. It's not meant to be cruel. It's, he's just a straightforward guy. This is not what we're looking for at all. Have you ever heard Alice Cooper songs? Do you know what this is supposed to sound like? And it was so inappropriate how I did it. I was overplaying. I just wanted to show what I could do. And, um, I'm on the phone. Yeah, no, absolutely. I understand. Thank you. Very can I please can I give it another shot? <laughs> like, you know, and, and they uh, must have liked you though to already be like, this is absolutely not what we want, but there's but something do it there. Again. Yeah. Yeah. I That's said, cool. can I give it another shot? And he said, please, would you, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, and, and totally now different I'm, to the last, please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and by the good grace of God, they gave me three, three different versions to go through it. And each time I simplified and simplified and simplified until I thought I was, I had just dumbed it down to the, to, to where I didn't even like it anymore, you know, which now looking back, I probably was still overplaying. Um, <laughs> yeah, but still, I wanted to show, you know, I wanted to show that I could give a lot and I can always dial it back. It's better to be able to dial it back than not be able to give enough, you know? Of course, of course. So, um, after the third audition round, I didn't hear back for a few days and I thought, you know, that's it. I, blew it you know I, I kind of guitar heroed myself into a corner here and that's not what they're looking for and uh and then i got the fateful call 
that, uh, that I, I was in, I got an amazing email with a subject line I will never forget, which was Nita, comma, welcome to our nightmare. And I still get chills now thinking about that. But I was under strict instructions from Bob that I had to become a rock guitar player in the next two weeks and not a shredder. Yeah. Uh, he said, Alice Cooper doesn't need a shredder. He needs a rock guitar player. Like, can you do this in time? And I said, yes, absolutely. I had no idea what he meant at the time. I had no clue what he could. I was like, Bob Ezrin just told me I'm not a rock guitar player. <laughs> like, what am um, I then? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I. So went then you and go and learn smoke on the water for the first time. <laughs> that's exactly it. You're joking, but that's what I did. It's really? Not smoke of the water, but I went yeah, and I yeah. took my first guitar lesson of my whole life. I had never taken a lesson before. And I went, um, I, I sought out a guitar teacher who used to run uh, the guitar program at Musicians Institute here in LA, Bill LaFleur. And I went to him and I literally said it like that. I was showed up with my Ibanez guitars and my, you know, my little Marshall practice amp. And I said, I need to be a rock guitar player. <laughs> and he's like, do you have a Les Paul? I was like, no. <laughs> First mistake right there. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra said the same thing. He goes, what's wrong with the Les Paul? And you know, I, I need... I need I need all of this to do to do what I do the best. So uh, the first thing he did was break it down and tell me the blues. Tell me the four bar blues. Hey you. Um, <laughs> the first thing I did was the first thing he did was was teach me the minor pentatonic and how to use the minor pentatonic in different inversions and different sort of rock licks, Ace Freely licks, and ACDC and that kind of stuff. Um, and it was kind of a whole new wide world for me because I was always overcomplicating things. I've, and it's just, maybe that's just my nature. I always, you know, I'm like the parkour of guitar playing. I just take the most difficult, complicated way to get where I want to go. And really it opened my eyes a lot to go, oh, well, instead you can just do this. Like, you know, and less just is like more this sometimes, whole, right? Yeah, yeah. Less is more. And I grew up watching eBay, how less can never be more. More is always more. And uh, and so really learning how to utilize the space between the notes and letting the notes sing and not always play, fitting as many notes as you can into one bar, um, it opened my eyes a lot. And by the, you know, in the next two weeks, I was promised I became uh, I don't want to say a different guitar player, but a much more well-rounded guitar player. And I was able to craft what would sort of become my signature Alice style, which is those classic licks mixed in with what I grew up playing the shred stuff. I like how it came out. I really do. Oh, you're such an amazing addition to that band. Like not just Thank in you. terms of your playing, but on stage, like your whole energy and presence and vibe just like elevates the show so much because Alice Cooper, as everybody knows, is like the theater, you know, and it's like a night out and it's super entertaining and you've got the costumes and the props. But like, you know, because he's of a certain age now um, to have this amazing, like just totally high octane, you know, Duracell bunny like guitar player running around the place nonstop. It's, you know, it's such a cool part of the show, like watching you. you. And I've watched Alice Cooper from like the back. I I've been in the nosebleeds and, mm. and like just watching you from like right at the back of the arena is such a fun too <laughs> because you like just move all over the place. It's amazing. <laughs> you just own and work that stage so, so well. And obviously, you know, you talk yeah. about that Boulder analogy, like all of those years playing in all different kinds of bands to 20 people the 200 the 2000 you know working your way up to that level you know then yeah. you get that opportunity and you have all the the skills 
and the experience to put it into practice, don't you? And it, that's just so clear. Yeah. I think you have to play to 20 people before you play to 100,000 people. Yeah. You know, you have to play. And then now, you know, I'm going to go. I, I've just finished with Alice last week. I start my solo tour a week from today. And I'm going to go back to playing to 200 people, you know, like, and and you're so it's a ping pong in a totally different way. And I think the real key is to give the exact same show, whether you're giving it to 100 people or 100,000 people. You know, if you come see Alice Cooper uh, on a theater stage, you know, or if you go see Alice Cooper at Download or Wacken or any of the big festivals, you're going to get the exact same show. Yeah. We are not going to we're not going to dial anything back if we're playing to a theater crowd of 2,500 or rock and reel of 150,000. We are going to give you the exact same energy, the exact same show. And the same level of appreciation, because no matter how many people showed up, they all showed up and they want, they came, they spent their hard-earned money, now more hard-earned than ever after the last year and a half we've had, like, people don't have a lot to spare. And if they chose to come and give a couple of it to you to perform that night, you better give them the best goddamn show they have ever seen in their life. And that's what we've been doing. That's what we're going to do next week on my tour. And that's what we'll do next year with Alice again. Well, I just had John Five on the show, and like similarly to you, he's in this kind of you know big production, uh, you know massive band. But then he clearly has these inclinations and these interests in regards to his instrument that you do too. And when you hear his solo record, same as yours, it's like you're not doing that stuff in the bands that you're in. So it's really nice to hear you just like unbridled and going for gold with what you love. And that first solo record you put out is just like. You know, because I, I initially I think I'd heard the track that you'd done, We Start Wars, and that has mm -hmm. like a vocalist, right? So that's more of like yes. a traditional band. So when I dived into the solo album, I was like, oh, wow, this isn't that at all. This is just like no. straight up, you know, rock and roll. And so with that band that you were briefly doing, did that kind of just fall by the wayside or is that still a thing? What happened to that one? Uh, yeah, We Start Wars was a, a concept that I have been trying to execute since I first started playing in bands. I've I've always thought, that the world needed an awesome, heavy, technically sound, talented, all-female band. Um, and well, not, not that there aren't one. any. Yeah, like not that several. there, and again, not that there aren't any, there are so many out there, but I wanted one, you know, mm. like I wanted to have, you know, a drummer with crazy fast ripping double bass. I wanted to have amazing dual guitar solos. I wanted to have a singer that could sing and scream. I wanted to have a bass player that could play incredible bass lines, not just follow the guitar player. Uh, my best friend is my keyboard player, Kat Scarlett. She went to Berkeley. She's like keyboard shred. Like I wanted to have an all-star lineup, uh, all-female metal band. And I've tried to do it several times. And We Start Wars was the closest it got to actually happening. You know, we we released a demo. Um, you know, the song really kind of was a demo. I, I engineered and produced and, and mixed it and everything myself. Uh, and we went out and played one show, one sold-out hometown show at the Whiskey in L.A., uh, and then I went on tour with Alice and I didn't come back for 10 months. And it's just unfair. It was really unfair of me at that time to expect musicians of that caliber to sit and wait for me. And I didn't, you know, I told them, look, I have to go. So go do what you need to do. And, you know, if we can do this when I get back, I, we will. But by the time I got back, you know, we had this, this crazy world tour with Alice in 2017 you know, we were in, you know, something like 40 countries in 10 months, you know, just absolute barn burner of a tour. And when I came back, everyone had rightfully so gone on and done their own projects and started their own things. And the momentum was kind of gone. Um, so that was when I shifted my focus to becoming a solo artist. And in 2018, I released Controlled Chaos, 
which sort of amazing album. It's really cool. Really, really cool. Um, I love the Queen track that the album album ends with that amazing Queen cover, The Show Must Go On. Um, And there's the kind of, is it the Something Grand? What's the kind of Spanish-y titled song? I want to say Spanish. I'm probably wrong. Oh, is it Alegria? Uh, Marina Trench. Is that right? Oh, Mariana Trench. Mariana Trench. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. The the Mariana Trench is the deepest known part of the ocean. Oh, Wow. Yes. Every so day is a school day. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what an yes. interesting title and what an incredible song. It rips. Uh, absolutely rips. Thank you so much. That you was must have had a good time that making one. that one. So did you yeah. did you produce an engineer and do all of that record yourself in, in where did, you are now? Yes. Uh, well, not not here in this room, but um, at our, my old place I did. Yeah, I produced and engineered Controlled Chaos uh, and then Mike Plotnikoff mixed it, who is an absolutely amazing, legendary mixer. Um, so I did not handle the mixed duties, but I did, I did everything else on control chaos, which now looking back, I'm glad I did it because I felt like I needed to, but it was very indulgent of me. I, I won't, I won't do it again. Now that I've done it once, I'm really happy to take a little, I don't want to say a backseat because I'm still driving, but, uh, I'm really happy to have somebody else, you know, here and, and engineering and producing and stuff. And that's, that's been a really cool process for this upcoming record. Yeah, you got somebody else riding shotgun, keeping you company. Yes, exactly. And sometimes <laughs> we just team. need to do something, don't we, to prove that we can do it to ourselves. And then once we've done that, it's like, okay, I don't need to do that again now. That was a lot of work. I've proved I can do it to me. Now let's share the load. Precisely. And <laughs> and not even only that it was a lot of work, to be perfectly bluntly honest with myself, it would have been better if someone else had done it. You know, like uh, I, I had a, a big... I don't want to say ego because it wasn't an ego thing, but it was a chip on my shoulder. And I just, I had been playing other people's music for a really long time. And I didn't want to be told how to play this. I didn't want to produce over my shoulder saying, you can play that better. You can do that tighter. What if you add this part here or cut this in half? And like, I just was like a little child throwing a temper tantrum saying, I want this my own way. And that's it. Um, and, and do you know so what though? Is, that's understandable. You know? That's understandable yeah. because you've been, you know, in the kind of shadow, shadows, maybe the wrong word, but you've been, you know, doing somebody else's commands for so long that it it stands to reason that when given that chance to spread your wings, you would want to just do it on your own terms. I get that completely. Yeah, totally. And it was really indulgent. And and I think solo (laughs) music can be indulgent. You know, you can, you can do it how you want to do it. and, And it's great. And I got it out of my system and I'm immensely proud of it. I've, I've been reviewing a lot of the songs on Control Chaos for the upcoming tour. And as I listen back to them after a few years of not hearing them, uh, I'm really proud of how it came out because it's Control Chaos is is my heart on a plate. You know, it's, it's a really emotional record. It is who I am as a person. You have a complete cross section of, you know, my more playful, fun, loving side with Alegria. You have my, you know, my quick temper with, with Mariana Trench. You know, you have more my more thoughtful, uh, you know, wistful ideas, you know, hope grows and here with you. And there's sort of, there's a little bit of each part of my personality in that song. And now that I've gotten it out, I was sort of able to take a deep breath. And on this upcoming record, which we just released the single now, Dead Inside, um, I was really able to approach the songwriting from a much more mature standpoint. And instead of like, just sort of like vomiting out emotions, saying I need to get this out, I was able to take a step back and say, okay, let me craft these songs more carefully 
and think about each part and think about what's going to make sense and, and take some notes about, okay, maybe this goes on a little long, or maybe we can make this a little bit higher for a singer to sing more comfortably or, you know, whatever it is. So it's, uh, it's been a really, really great, um, it's been a great time writing this next record so far. Have you got singers on every song or is the Draymond guest the kind of a one-off? It's going to be half and half. So cool. I've got half uh, songs with guest vocalists and half instrumental. Any other guest vocalists you care to share? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Which means Not there's yet. some exciting, exciting names in the mix then. Would you ever step up? I don't think so. You no? know, I, I don't, I don't really, I can sing, but I don't like to, you know, I, I'm not a great singer. And I think so many guitar players that aren't great singers sort of fall into that trap of being told they should sing. And I just like, I, I'm a good singer, but I'm not a great singer. And I've had this opportunity to work with so many great singers. Why do I want to put myself in that position to be torn apart? You know, like I, I don't, I don't mind singing backups with Alice. You know, when you when you come to an Alice show, you hear my voice loud and clear singing some harmonies. But when it comes to singing lead vocals, there are just so many people better suited to it than me. I, I don't really, I don't really feel like putting my neck on the chopping block. I like playing guitar. I'll play the guitar. I'll have some great singers with me, and that's that's kind of where I'm at. A little self awareness in this game is very rare, <laughs> Nita, and refreshing. You have to. You know, I, I and I hear so many of my favorite guitar players step up to the mic and sing, and they're not bad, but their singing is not to the level of their guitar playing. I mean, you take some, I'd take like a Richie Kotzen, for example, incredible singer, incredible guitar player. If I could sing like Richie Kotzen, I'd be singing my own stuff, but I yeah. don't. I just kind of sing like Steve Vai, you know, like, <laughs> you know, Steve Vai, great singer, but not as great a singer as he is a guitarist, you know, and, and I just, I, I just know I'm not that good at it. And I, if I really worked and had lessons and put some time in, I could probably get good, but I'd really rather play guitar. I'd rather spend that time that I would be taking singing lessons, practicing guitar and getting better at what I really love. I think it's that old, if I can be so bold, it's that old competitive nature in, in, in your psyche that's telling you, if I can't be the best, I ain't going there. And I respect Absolutely. that. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you could not be more right. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> You're obviously in the best band as well, because like, you know, that documentary, I watched that recently, again, just to refresh my memory, the hired gun one. And some of the stories from that, like Billy Joel, you're just like, thank God I'm not in his band. Um, you must have the best gig with Alice because he, I'm assuming, is happy for you to, you know, go and explore and do your own thing as well as being in his band. And I imagine not everybody has that freedom in that position, right? Sometimes the taskmaster is just like, oh, no, if you're in my band, that's all you can do. Um, whereas yeah, Alice, Alice is really giving you the, the support to, to go ahead and, and rock on your own, which is awesome. Oh yeah, I mean, honestly, he couldn't be more supportive and more great. Um, when Dead Inside hit number one, uh, he called me into his dressing room, and he and his wife like just gave me a big hug and congratulations, and and you know just sort of and he 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 said he said something really funny. He goes, "This is your first number one." Like, of course, it's my first number one. <laughs> He's had so many number ones, you know, but like this this is my first one, and and he was just so appreciative and you know um the band sent me flowers you know uh -huh. even though i'm just a dressing room over from them you know and and uh alice introduced me that night as you know with a number one single on the charts nita strauss like everybody in you know from alice to the band members to the crew to our techs to the production people and assistants like everybody is so supportive of everybody else not just me 
you know, when one of the other guys releases a record or, you know, somebody has a, a success in their life, we are all sort of of the mindset that a rising tide lifts all ships. So if something great happens for Ryan Roxy, that only elevates the rest of us. If something great happens for me, it only elevates the rest of them. Like it's, we are, are truly like a symbiotic family and uh, it's a really great supportive atmosphere. Yeah, if only more people could see that. It's such a simple truth. And sometimes, yeah. like again, ego is this thing that creeps in and, and jealousy and insecurity and all these things. But it's like, no, together we are stronger. And if we're all better, then the thing the thing's better, right? But oh, some yeah. people are like, Absolutely. oh, no, you're getting too good. you got to get back there. Yeah, we don't have <laughs> Ludicrous. that. We don't have that at all. Do you ride together? Do you all travel together on a, like a, a, a bus? Uh, we were on one bus for the first few years that I was in the band. And now uh, the last few years we've been on two buses, um, but still the two buses travel together. They're just a little less crowded. Amazing. I mean, how real, how many other people at that level and, and that long in the game are still rock and yeah. roll bus in it? Oh yeah. And you know, I will say this may be like a little bit of a bougie thing for me to say, but I'll say it anyway. Traveling by bus is the best. Traveling by plane is the worst. You know, like people think, oh, private jet, then you've made it. But like getting up, think about getting up every single day after a show and having to go to the airport, you know, like find your, you know, get up in the hotel, find your phone, charger, find your clothes, put, unpack your, to, you know, toothbrush and toothpaste and whatever you leave in the bathroom, you have to get yourself and go down to the lobby and go to the airport, you know, get, get in the car, go to the airport, get on the plane, fly on the plane, go back, get your stuff, go to the hotel, plug in your phone, put your toothbrush by it. It's like, it's just so much stuff. You go on the bus, it's easy. Your toothbrush is there. Your phone charger is plugged in in the bunk. Everything is where Close you need your it. Curtains you. And you're <laughs> Close your curtains and you're done. <laughs> I will take a bus tour any day of the week. I find it impossible to get to sleep on a bus. Once I'm asleep, I'm fine. But it's getting mm. to sleep. It, the trick is to get to sleep before it takes off, isn't it? I, I've mm. found once the bus is then like on the road, if I'm still awake, I'm like, oh, no, this, this this ain't happening tonight. But you are right. And especially now with COVID, like uh, flying everywhere now would be an absolute nightmare. Oh, it's no a matter drag. How nice I still fly a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I still fly a lot. Not private, but I fly a lot still now. And it's just it's just a drag, you know. And and my best advice for being able to sleep on the bus is tire yourself out during the day get a good hard workout in in the morning whether you're in the hotel gym or in the parking lot or whatever you have to do uh and then play a good hard show that night and you will have no problem getting to sleep on the bus i've fallen to like on this last tour and we didn't have any guests i was off stage at 10 30 makeup off pjs on hair in a bun at 10 45 and asleep dead asleep dead to the world at 11. amazing um, yeah. You look like you keep fit. Do you keep fit on the road as well as much as you can? Obviously, you know, it's not as easy when, you know, the gym's not right there. But is that something you try and incorporate into your day to day routine when you're out on the road? As yeah, much as every day, every, every day. single day. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's it's sort of I think it's a little bit of my sobriety routine and also just a little bit of my mental health routine is just yeah. getting up, getting moving. You know, there is always uh, a gym, you know, such as it is in the hotel or if we're not in a hotel you know, I'll bring resistance bands or I, I travel with a set of power blocks on my own tour, which is just an adjustable set of dumbbells that goes to different weights. Um, what are and, the things that uh, you do that? Zach has them. You just a stretch resistance out. Band. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I travel with those. I have, I've got like two sets of those, a small size and a big size and the power blocks and you can run, you can do so much stuff just with your body weight. Um, Josh and I train Muay Thai and boxing together. So we'll bring pads and gloves out and hit that in the parking lot. Like Love it. you can, you can keep fit if you want to on the road. And of course, eating healthy, eating right is, it's so important, you know, and Zach is the king of eating healthy on the road, eating his chicken and his eggs all the time. 
um, you know, getting the right supplements. You know, I, I take uh, actually this company here, First Form. I take their their protein and uh, the green drink in the morning and the red drink in the afternoon. Like keeping your micronutrients healthy and everything else. You just you just have to find the way to to make it work for you because I tell you, there's nothing worse than feeling sluggish and feeling sick on the road. You know, yeah. eating like crap, drinking all the time. Uh, and just, you know, you don't look good in your stage clothes. You don't feel good mentally. So taking good care of your body and mind is, is so important on the road and off the road. Well, I've got to say, I wish we could talk all day. The hour's up, so I'm imagining we need to wrap it now. But honestly, irregardless of the fact that you're a woman doing what you're doing, which is amazing in itself, just as a person, you're super inspirational. Um, you. A lovely, lovely, lovely lady. And I've really enjoyed talking to you. And, um, Likewise. Yeah, just, congratulations on a amazing career and you know this is just the start isn't it thank you so much i, I really really it means a lot coming from you matt and i really appreciate that thank you well i hope to see you when you're next over in the uk let's do a part yeah. two face to face and and we will be some there more. um next spring i think with uh, another great package with the cult we'll oh there. yeah yeah i did see that yeah. incredible mm -hmm. yeah well yeah. i'll definitely come to a show my friend jody who actually lives in birmingham often shoots you guys little girl photographer yes we love jody for years yeah she's i a, adore jody mm -hmm. she's a dear friend so i'll pop down to a show with her and say hello and and yeah let's jump oh, on the mics do. and you're a badass and this has been amazing oh, thank so, you i'll look forward for to part time. two thank you so much Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.